Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. following program is intended for immature audiences only. Don't think, just listen. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander. Here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 and also streaming on italknet.com as we broadcast from the Phil Gene Motor Studios. High atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call at 724-785-6800. And tell him Bill sent you, won't you? Well, I hope everything's going fine for you um, on this wonderful day. And this evening's a little bit different for me because I'm going to be talking with another podcaster and another interviewer. So it may be my show. It may be her show. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it will be really interesting because we're going to be talking to the podcast host, Kara Mayer Robinson from the podcast, Really Famous People. Now, before we get started, I want to read something from her bio and it's short. It's sweet. It's to the point. I interview people. We philosophize. We laugh. We dive deep. Surprising things surface. When we wrap up, I hear things I like. This didn't feel like an interview, and I loved it. <laughs> so, on the phone line right now, we have Kara Mayer Robinson. Kara, how are you doing this evening? Bill, I'm doing great. I love hearing the intro. That's lots of fun. So, thanks for actually reading my bio. It's always a plus when somebody <laughs> takes the time to do that. I'm doing great. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. So it, it was really interesting when you reached out to me about being on my program because you have your own show. And I thought that was kind of interesting in and of itself. Yeah, it's great. I actually I do have my own show. As you know, it's called Really Famous. And I interview celebrities. We do a nice deep dive. Um, like I said in my bio, I interview people. We really do dive deep and surprising things do surface. So each podcast episode, uh, there's a new one every week, and each episode features a famous person, 
usually an actor. I tend to kind of just go in that direction because I really do. I'm into television and film, and I'm drawn to that. Okay. So I have a famous actor typically. We do an hour or so. Um, but I've been a, be- a guest on other people's podcasts as well, and I actually like being interviewed too. So oh, this really? is just as much fun for me, honestly. I like to talk to people, whether it's you know some it's funny what you just said about who's actually going to own this interview. I think both of us, because I like to ask questions, I like to listen, okay. and I also like to talk. So all of it. Because I, I've been interviewed in the past, and halfway through the show, when the person on the other end of the phone line doesn't know what to say, I hate dead air. So I pick it up and I go from there, and then I start asking them questions. So if that happens here, that's perfectly fine, just to let you know. <laughs> so I do. You know what I actually love is I love when I'm in the middle of the interview. I'm interviewing a celebrity, and they actually turn it on me. And uh-huh. it's not because it's boring. I know that it's because they're actually interested. And I don't think that's that common, but I do love it when it happens because it really feels like they're engaged and they're not just feeling like they're on the spot to perform, and instead they really start having a good conversation with me. Love so, that. So how many years have you uh, had your podcast really famous? So the podcast is just over two years. I've been interviewing celebrities for longer than that. I was a journalist before. I mean, I really still am a journalist. I still write for the New York Times here and there. I write some celebrity cover stories for WebMD magazine. Um, But I do less writing now. Um, But, yeah, a little over two years ago, I launched Really Famous. And I've been putting out an episode a week almost the whole time. Well, not quite the whole time, I guess. But um, now I'm pretty consistent with once a week. So who are some of the people that you've had on your program in the past? Okay, so many. I always forget when people ask me. I've had, so I'm up to like episode right now, I'm in the 80s. So um, a lot of them have been really good. Let Let me turn it a little bit towards you and ask you this. Do you watch television? Yes. Okay, so I always like to ask you, well, what are some of your favorite things that you like to watch? And then I get to know your genre, right. and I can probably pull somebody out who I think you would actually be most interested in hearing about. Okay. So what are some of your of your shows? What uh, kind of TV do you like to watch? I, I watch, uh, let's see, I've watched Law & Order, NCIS, I watch comedies on a regular basis, and um, that's about it. Okay, so you like the criminal procedurals, which I do have some people from that. So um, if you watch Law & Order SVU, you might recognize Peter Herman. Now, he's not the most famous person. However, he was on Law & Order and Blue Bloods. He's on a show called Younger Now, and he's married to Mariska Hargitay, who is Olivia Benson. I am so jealous. You're jealous of him, right? Yeah, I'm jealous of him, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. Well, believe me, there are so many fans of his out there who were jealous of me that I got to spend hours with him because cool. he ended up doing three three shows because uh-huh. we had so much to talk about. Um, so him from uh, Law & Order. Uh, I also have another one from Law & Order, Eric Bogosian. I, he I've... played, do you know him? Yes, uh, he was on um, Criminal Intent. That's right. Yes. That's right. Criminal Intent. Yes. I never watched Criminal Intent, oh, but awesome. I did. So I knew him from other things. But yes, that was something he was on for a while. 
Um, but I've had a lot of uh, a lot of these movie stars too, like Chaz Palminteri. And if you watch The Sopranos, I've had a few of The Sopranos okay. on. I had Michael Imperioli. He's one of my favorites. He just came back for a second podcast on The Sopranos. He played Christopher Moltisanti. Um, I've had like real life TV stars like Caesar Milan, who's a dog whisperer. Yes. Tim Gunn, the mentor and mm-hmm. host of Project Runway. Um, Joe Montaigne from Criminal Minds. Uh, I, I always forget, but I'm, I'm remembering some. Tim Daly from Madam Secretary and Wings and uh, the movie Diner. And Tyne so Daly's brother, the- yeah. Yes, Tyne Daly's brother, exactly. Yes. That's right. I mean, he told me some really interesting stories about growing up with Tyne oh, Daly. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, he had an interesting background, interesting history. and He felt like his, uh, who he grew up with, his parents, were actually different from her parents because they were at a totally different stage in their life when he was growing up. Of course, because there's a big age difference between the two of them. There is, um, exactly. So how do you get your people that you interview on your program? Because that's that's always been a difficulty for me. I've been doing this, like I told you off the air, I've been doing it for a long time. And when I worked radio and did it, it was always local people, local entertainers, or anybody coming into the area that's going to perform. And then when I did the podcast, it was it was basically the same thing. Not until recently have I started, actually, people are finding the podcast and they're contacting me about being on the program like you did. Um, so how do you find your quote-unquote famous people? That's great. So I know I came to you because there was a request in my email box saying that you were looking for yeah. guests. And so I said, sure, I'm happy to be on the show. And um, like, as I said, I like to be a guest on shows. Um, For me, it is tricky. And this is the most, I'd say this is the most common question that I'm asked is how on earth do you get these super famous people to come on your show? Um, Like what, what exactly is going on here? So it's a complicated answer. Um, It's not that simple. I don't have any like magic secret to it, but um, all of it really has been built on all of these years of being a journalist. Okay. So I have interviewed celebrities for years, and I've worked with celebrities. I've worked with their publicists and their managers and the TV networks that air their shows. Mm-hmm. And so it's really just a matter of they have gotten to know me over the years, and you build this kind of trust. So. I'm not the kind of interviewer who, number one, is going to turn off the talent. Um, Number two, I'm not a gotcha journalist. So number three, almost always, not always, but almost always after the interview, the celebrity is like really surprised at how much they liked the interview because it didn't feel like an interview. It just felt like a really good conversation. They were surprised. So, um, So that builds up over years. People... You know, they get to know me, and that's that. So I'd, I'd say the relationship building and the trust is what has done it. But if you want to go more technical, then it's just a matter of some people reach out to me. Sometimes I see someone on TV or on a movie, and I say, I, this, look, this person looks really interesting. I'd like to get to know them in real life. And so I reach out to them. And uh, I get a lot of no's. Believe me, I'm rejected <laughs> all the time. All the time. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of my process, and that's what I think uh, it has worked so far. Because I know one of the things um, when people ask me when I get certain people on the program, they ask me how I do it. And I said, to be honest with you, I just ask. And the interesting thing, probably the majority of the time, the people that I've talked to um, that have been in music, politics, or whatever, they will do the program. Now, at one time when I started out, I was always worried that. 
podcasting because this still has a radio component because I'm working with a radio station outside of Pittsburgh that's willing to air these programs on a delayed basis, which works out for me because it broadens the audience. Um, but that for them, I think it's still radio is still king. And then the podcasting is starting to develop its own listenership because people are downloading them more. So I think that has a lot to do with it, too, because people are now becoming more comfortable with the genre itself or the medium itself. And then feeling that this is actually a uh, a valid source of communication. Yeah, I think that's true. And some people still have no idea what a podcast yeah. is, but other people, and it's nice because it is happening in the entertainment industry, so it's a little bit better for me because I'm going for the celebrities, that um, they are starting to catch on. So there are celebrities who have their own podcasts as well. So it's like word is out, at least in those circles, that a podcast is like definitely a good place to to put yourself out there. And you know what the trick is, of course, is podcast listeners are super, super duper loyal and they feel like they really know you and can trust you. And that's how I feel about the podcasters who I listen to. I mean, I listen to some people over and over again. Mark Marin is one of my staples. Um, There are a few others. I listen to Terry Gross, for example, and she's radio as well, as you know. Right, I am. Um, Yeah, she's NPR, but to me, she's a podcaster because I don't listen to NPR or the radio. I listen to her on my on my podcast app. And right. so, you know, you do feel like you get to know them, and there's something really special about that. So, like, I always try to um, explain to somebody who's not sure if somebody should be on the show, for example, that if a celebrity comes on my show and I talk to them for a good hour, the listener feels like they completely know this person personally because it's like eavesdropping on two people catching up or I always say this in my intro too. Sometimes it's like eavesdropping on a therapy session, um, but they do by the end, by, by the end of the podcast, they feel like they really know my guests and they want to seek them out in other projects. If they have a new TV show or a new movie right. coming out, they want to check it out, and it's so much more powerful than a celebrity going on and doing like a. 30-second soundbite or a two-minute soundbite on some show where nobody's really that invested and all they're talking about is, like, their new movie. So it's not that deep, you know what I mean? So I think that podcasting is really good for that. So, you know, I know I was listening to a podcast this morning, in fact. Um, oh, you know who it was? It was uh, Dax Shepard. Do you know him? Yes, I do. He was in, Yeah, so he has a podcast. Um To be honest, it's not my favorite podcast. However, I do listen when there's a guest who I'm interested in. So he had Fred Savage on. Do you know Fred Savage? From um, Wonder Years? uh, Yes, you know your stuff, Phil. I love it. Yes. I'm also old. That's why. But anyhow. Well, (laughs) whatever the reason, it's good. I like it. Um, so Kevin, he played Kevin in the Wonder Years. Yeah. I had no idea that he has a new show on like Sunday nights or something. And I wouldn't have known, but after listening to him on this whole entire podcast episode, I'm like, oh, I totally have to check out where this show is. I think he said it was on Fox and I'm going to start recording it on my DVR. So that's exactly what happened. Is so it I think ga- it's powerful. Is he, was he talking about the game show he's doing? He did talk about that, but I don't. That was okay. not his game show. So yeah, he did that. I think that's over, or is okay. it still on? I don't, I don't even know. He did mention it. I've only caught it once or twice, but I didn't. I didn't know if it was still on or not. And I know that. Um, <laughs> not that I plan on talking about Fred Savage tonight, but he was working. <laughs> he was uh, directing a few things too, and his counterpart who played Winnie, 
has also been doing stuff on TV and she's also been working on behind the scenes and she's been doing stuff with, um, she's a uh, mathematician by training after leaving TV. She went to college. I think she went to MIT and she's working with young ladies in getting them into the, the sciences and mathematics to start uh, engineering careers for them. And she's working with uh, public television to do that. Oh, that's cool. I did see. I didn't know anything about that, um, but that is very cool. I forgot her name. Do you remember her name? I, offhand, I you know, I'll remember right, it as Lainey, soon as, right. as soon as we I, get it done. What? I'll remember it. I feel like it was Dan, it's Danica something. Danica oh. McKellar or something. I want to say. I don't know, but you're probably um, right. Yes, I might be. I don't know, um, but I think that Fred's show is. He said it's like a, an after show of another show. Um, I don't really want to do it the disservice of trying to explain it when I really just heard it secondhand. But right. I'll check it out this uh, Sunday. I think you said it was on. And uh, I'll fill you in. Now, I'm impressed. You're right. Her name is Danica McClellar. Oh, um, oh, hey. What do you, what that, do you know? That, okay. is, that is impressive because I didn't remember that. that <laughs> <laughs> but see, this is, what, this is what I, this is my passion. I don't know why. I just love it. I always have. I love television. I did what I watched it when I was a kid. I'm sure. I guess it was on when I was a kid or maybe a teenager or something. I don't remember exactly when, but uh, I guess it's stuck in my head. What can I do? I can't shake these details. And actually, she graduated from UCLA. And again, okay. it, it was a bachelor of science in mathematics with honors. So, um, mm. so again, and she did a series called math doesn't suck in, uh, uh, let's see, algebra exposed girls get curves and geometry takes shape. So she's done some stuff in education also. And she also was on an episode. You'll love this of the big bang theory as one of the, uh, brief dating interests in, uh, on the program years ago in the first couple of seasons of the show. But anyhow, no, enough of okay, talking well, about those guys. Well, would you believe I've never seen the big bang theory? You've got to be kidding me. No, I've never <laughs> seen it. It's not, I know here I'm telling you, like I watch so much TV, but it's not my kind of show. Okay. But what I, I will say this, I did have Annie Potts on my show. Um, Annie Potts, a lot of people know her from designing women and Ghostbusters. Yeah. And Ghostbusters and pretty and pink. And um, she is on a show now called Young Sheldon, which is a prequel yes. of the B Big Bang Theory. And it's yes. produced by Jim Parsons. So I did. I have watched Young Sheldon, but that's not the same thing as no. the Big Bang Theory. I love Annie Potts. And um, that, that must have been a very interesting interview. It was. I mean, for sure. She was great. That was kind of recent, actually. She lives in L.A., but she came to New York for a bit. And I was lucky enough to catch her while she was here. And we sat down, and it was interesting. She actually walked me through a lot of her childhood growing up in the South and how much it kind of it disturbs her now to go back and see. Um, and just kind of like some, some sprinklings of the past where they haven't really moved beyond uh, racism in certain ways. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, so like that was interesting. And, of course, she talked about her shows and whatnot. And, and of course, you can't forget that she's in Toy Story. She plays Bo Peep. Yes, she does. And yeah. uh, that, that the, if, have you seen the new movie, Toy Story 4? Uh, of course. I saw it on opening night with my son. Um, he and I love the Toy Story movies. I love every single one. Love. I mean, I cry. Like the I was going to say, start. how far into the movie did you did you tear <laughs> up? Because I'll tell you when I did. <laughs> 
When did you? <laughs> right <laughs> do after. Do you remember the moment? Right after the opening credits, because the <laughs> Toy Story movies. Um, my wife and I have been married uh, twenty-three years, twenty-two years, and the first movie we went to was Toy Story One. And that was the movie we went to for on our first date was that movie, which is interesting because then the second one came out and we named my second son because of a scene in Toy Story 2. My oldest son is named is Daniel and we call him Danny. Well, at the end of the movie, when you watch whenever Bullseye gets Andy's name on his feet, the name is mixed up and it's spelled D-A-N-Y. My wife and I looked at it, at each other, and she's pregnant at the time, and she goes, that's it. We're naming him Andy. And that is that's so sweet. And the thing is, he and it's a true story. He's embarrassed by the story, but it is true. And uh, we've, we've, we love that, the, the whole thing. All my, my wife and I and my three kids love it. My daughter and, my, uh, and Andy, we went to see that movie a few weeks ago. And, uh, again, just an amazing film. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they do it. I have to tell you, after Toy Story 4, or like in, while we were in Toy Story 4, I was thoroughly enjoying it, crying the work. Yes. Um, but I have to say that I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, it's good, but it's not quite like the others. And then I left the movie, and my son and I were talking about it, and I was like, oh, I'm just kind of, well, am I allowed to give a spoiler away here? Sure, if go ahead. Spoiler yeah, alert? go ahead, go ahead. All right, so spoiler alert. I'm going to say it three times just in case. Spoiler <laughs> alert, spoiler alert. Um, give everybody time to, like, hold their ears or something. Um, so I wanted Andy to end up with a kid. I wanted him to be with another kid. Oh, I just okay. Like, so that, that made me a little bit like, oh, just I get what they were trying to do, but, like, I really wasn't feeling it. And then it's so funny because my – 11 year old son said to me like but mom like it was all about andy i mean oh wait what i said i'm sorry i I wanted woody to end up with another kid and then then um but i called him andy Um, and then my son said no but it was all about andy for woody like woody it was andy and he had to just move on it's always going to be andy Mm -hmm. and then i thought oh okay like i kind of see what that what you mean and then i looked back at some of the scenes like when he was walking down the road with forky and he had that conversation with him and i was like oh i really get it like he's really understanding his time and i liked it more after i had analyzed it and thought about it more after i sat with it for a couple days with my 11 year old son now I'm 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 going to ruin ruin the premise of the movie for you because I questioned it because when he was talking about Andy and Andy must have been very important to him there had to be a kid before Andy because Woody was a late 50s early 60s toy Oh, oh, technical detail. I like it. And I'm thinking to myself, going, but yeah, I get how important Andy was, but does not does Woody not remember who was the kid before? Because I think it was implied that that was Andy's father's toy in the the first or second movie because of the yard sale. Whenever the mother said, "No, that's not for sale," and grabbed it away. So, I mean, we can do a lot of analyzing of the film. But again, I, I thought it was well done. And I, I like the idea of him going off with Bo Peep because I still think they can do the story again, but they would not be doing it with Tom Hanks as Woody. Oh, I, okay, I can't even go there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't even, Bill. I can't. 
Well, I'm still so emotionally attached. I don't want to imagine. What do you mean without Tom Hanks? What well, are you saying? I, 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 I could see them doing it without Tom Hanks and, and, and starting to bring in the new characters because the, the rabbit and the, and the, and the chick that Keenan and Peel played the, yeah. the voice were, they were hilarious. I mean, that was just, I mean, I could see them doing a whole series just on those two, to be honest with you, but there's always something that's going to be down the road, especially with that franchise. Right. They've got to. I mean, give me a break. It's such a moneymaker. But maybe that could be like a spinoff. Maybe. I know it's a movie, but I would rather call it a spinoff okay. than an extension. I don't know. Toy Story 5. I get it. They're funny. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I, anyway, I invested. Anyway, I enjoyed the film. My oldest son said, Dad, how do you rank him? He's 19 years old. I said, I go one, four, two, and three. He goes, okay, really? I get it, because I think I two, two again introducing Jesse and, and Bullseye and the and the prospector were important, but just in content, I think one and th- one and four um, were the best two content wise. Hmm, I think I'd pick one and three if we were doing that. See, one I didn't three like, for me. I didn't like three because I thought it was really? too demented and too dark. Oh, interesting. But it was great that they introduced Molly and Andy giving the toys away. Not that I expected this podcast to be talking about Toy Story tonight. I know. But still. (laughs) Right. But you know what? That's so interesting. But for me, that whole college thing, I think that's what got me. Okay. The whole, that really struck a nerve for me. And I guess it's because my kids were starting to grow up at that point, I guess. I don't really know. That makes yeah. that makes sense. Okay, okay. So should, should we move on from <laughs> yeah. Toy Story? Is it taking over? No, actually, I could do the whole show on Toy Story. Um, years ago, <laughs> not that this makes a difference. Year ago, I interviewed um, one of the creative producers of Toy Story One um, on the radio show that I did, and it was uh, he was an assistant to John Lasseter, which was a very very interesting interview, and um, just the, the whole concept behind it and how they got the characters. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, when you in, when you interview when you interview people, when you're in the middle of the interview, do you know if you have a good interview or a bad interview? So that's a good question. I really like that. Um, I would say sometimes, but not always, because there have been interviews that I have wrapped up and felt like, eh, and then either, number one, they would tell me later that they had a better time, for example, than I thought they were having. So, for example, I had Omar Epps on. He's an actor. He's in... The he was in the series Shooter, also the series House. Yes. Um, I, I don't remember who he played because, to be honest, I didn't watch House either. Oh, great um, series. But he, okay, so yeah, a lot of people love that. Um, he, I really felt like I was struggling because I felt as though he was really not into the interview at all. Okay. And it was interesting to me because at the end, as we were wrapping up, he stood up. We finished the interview. He stood up and he said. That was, like, amazing. It was really, like, the best interview I've had. And I, as I was sitting there, I pictured you having your own talk show on TV. And he said, and I said, oh, really? And he said, yes. And when you get it, you owe me 10%. Like, he was joking around with me about that. But, like, I was so shocked to hear that from him. So I thought that was not a good interview. He thought it was. I was thrilled. There were other times when 
I walked away thinking, yeah, it's okay. Um, you know what? I'll tell you the truth. Annie Potts was like that for me. I, I, I was very time crunched with her because she only had an hour. And I really can very easily go over an hour. I mean, right. I could go, I've spilled into like three hour territory with a few people. Um, but uh, she was on a very tight schedule and her publicist was with her. I was like, okay, this is it. We have to leave at a certain time. And, so I was very preoccupied with that the whole time, which made it not, which made me a little bit more concerned. And I don't like to be concerned in the middle of an interview. Usually I love being in my interviews and I'm so present, um, but I kept thinking about the time. And then afterwards, I was surprised by how many fans reached out to say how it was one of their favorite interviews. And, you know, her publicist, too, is like, this is like the, my favorite. And I didn't even think that one was that good so i don't necessarily know there are other times when i'm in the middle of it and i'm like oh my god this is the greatest like peter right. herman was one of those i knew i was like this I, I don't know if it's because i'm having a great time um you know i think if i have a great time though then that does you know people feel that when they're listening um but i i kind of had a feeling that was that was great and it is one of my fan favorites and then um uh, who was I just thinking of? Oh, Jay Moore. Do you know him? He's a comedian. He's a comedian, yeah. And, yeah, he's a comedian, and he was also in Jerry Maguire. He played the uh, the talent agent who yes. was, like, I guess, like the – yeah. So um, I had an interview with him that was so off the wall. I mean, we were – it was like – I went off the rails repeatedly. Like, we were not – I like to go off the rails a little. Right. But – I mean, I just couldn't even rein it back in. He was going off so far in these areas that were so out there that he was just kind of, I was just trying to follow him and make sure that listeners wouldn't get lost. And so after his interview, I was like, I do not know how this is going to play, but I feel like I have to edit it down really tightly because it was about two hours and I just felt like people would not go for go for it. And I didn't want to like um, make it tough for the listener to listen so then a little bit later that night i was in la because i go to l i'm in new york um most of my interviews are done there and then i go to la a few times a year and i do a big batch of them at once okay. in about a week and then i come back and i i run them uh, uh one at a time and so i was in la that was my first day and that night i was having dinner with a friend and i was telling her like oh my god this is real i don't know what i'm going to do to edit this down and I don't know how people are going to perceive it, if they're going to like it or hate it. And then suddenly I remembered something he said to me in the interview, which was people either love me or hate me. So he was talking about himself. Right. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's how they're going to feel about this episode. So my friend was like, then why don't you just put the whole thing out there? Tell the listeners in the beginning Keep listening if you love it. It's almost two hours. And if you don't, just turn it off. You don't have to listen to it. And that's what I did. And so I heard back from a lot of people that they loved that episode. I didn't hear from people who didn't like it because they probably just turned it off. Right. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that's what I decided to do. So I, I wasn't really sure in the middle of it or even after whether or not it was a good interview. How about you? How do you feel? Do you know in the middle of it? Sometimes. Uh, yeah, sometimes. Anyway, but before I answer that question, you're listening to WMCK.FM and also watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77, and we're broadcasting on italknet.com. Yes, I can tell in the middle of the interview if it is good or bad. And the thing that frustrates me is 
that I can do all the prep work in the world for the interview. And if the um, if the person that is on the show with me is not in the mood to talk, no matter what you do, it's not going to help. And that and I've had that happen a couple times. One of the ones that happened to and thank goodness it corrected itself after the first five minutes. Um, I don't know if you remember who the uh, comedian author uh, host, the original host of The Tonight Show, a gentleman by the name of Steve Allen. Of course. Yeah. Steve was one of my first interviews I did in radio. It was a one-hour interview, and it was a Saturday morning. I called him. He's in his home outside of Hollywood. And it was like he just woke up, and he was not in the mood to talk. And I'm sitting there. I have all this prep work. I have a news guy sitting next to me doing the local news. I look at the news guy, and I'm going, this isn't going to be good. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first interviews I did, and to this day, it's still one of my best because he, I didn't think about it. He had to get warmed up, and once he got warmed up, he was open to everything, and it was very enjoyable for me, too. Now, I've had other ones where I've done them where I thought they're wonderful, and then I listened to him going, you know what? I should have asked this, or maybe I shouldn't have asked it the way I did because one thing I do do, which a, a, a program director told me years ago, is always listen to what you've done because that's the only way you're going to be able to improve. And it's also going to help your questioning skills. So I listen to pretty much everything I've done. I've done run recently that when I was on the air with the person, I thought it was wonderful. When I listened to it, I wasn't too happy with it. Mm-hmm. So again, that is interesting. So again, it, it, it's all depends on, I guess, the mood you're in. I mean, right now, I think this is going really well, but tomorrow after I listen to it, I may be kicking myself after this comment. I don't know. I mean, anything's possible. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is sometimes I kick myself, too. Like, there are are always things that I wish I had done differently. Always. I rarely leave an interview without, like, oh, I wish this, or I wish I'd done this, or I wish I'd said this. Uh, I I mean, I I just think that goes with the territory in a way. Um, but it, and, you know, and when I'm listening to other interviews too, I do tend to be like, I know exactly what I would say sometimes when somebody doesn't. So I'll be like, Oh, why didn't they ask that? You right. know, I'm like, Oh, there was just, that was, they were about to talk about something so good. And either a, you cut them off or B, you didn't ask a good follow-up question because to me, it's all about listening to what they say and then following up on what they say, because they have so many more interesting things to talk about than what I come in having research. Right. However, I will say this, that I have found myself um, a little bit under-researched, not many times, but a couple of times when I really kicked myself for that. So I'll tell you what, one of them is actually a recent story, and this isn't a podcast story. This is actually a New York Times story. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I contribute to this column. It's called Sunday Routine, and you probably wouldn't know it because you're in Pennsylvania, but, I mean, it goes online digitally. The whole world can see it. Every Sunday, there's a column called Sunday Routine, and it spotlights one person who lives in New York City and what they do on a typical Sunday. It's a fun, light, like, interesting piece, and, like, it depends on how it's written, of course, but... I've done maybe 20-something of those. And so my most recent one was with Spike Lee, the director, filmmaker. So I interviewed him, and I think that I was a little nervous ahead of time. It's Spike Lee, of all people. I mean, I actually interviewed him 
think it was four days before the Oscars. Okay. And he was up for, you know, I mean, it was his Oscars year, too. So I was right there. He was so big and present. And I was going to his, his offices in Brooklyn. And I was definitely intimidated. So I think part of me just didn't want to over-research because I don't know why. I guess it's some sort of weird protective mechanism or something. Um, but I didn't do a deep dive as much as I normally would. And I think part of it is also because I was doing Sunday routine. So I knew that I really had to kind of focus mostly on what his Sunday uh, activities are. So I went in and I, I noticed that when I'm talking to him, like I didn't have all my facts straight. Like I didn't know that he lived in Manhattan. I thought he lived in Brooklyn. I okay. know that sounds like no big deal, but to me, it was a mistake. And he was like, what do you mean? I don't live in Brooklyn. I live in Manhattan. Like you couldn't believe I didn't know it. And number two, I thought he had two sons, not a son and a daughter. And again, it was the kind of thing where I felt like that just really hurt my credibility with right. him. And I was kicking myself because it's so out of character for me. It is People are usually surprised by how much I remember or know. Um, but that I really, as I left his place, I was, I was just cringing on my whole way home. Like that was such... So awkward, and I just think he, you know, was really like, uh, what, what was this all about? But I will, I will kind of redeem myself a little bit because as I'm thinking the whole time in the middle of the interview, he hates me. Like, because normally I really do get along with most people. Right. And so I got a vibe from him that, like, he does not like me at all. And then as I was getting ready to go, he said, wait a minute, come over here. I want to show you something. And he shows me, takes me to this room in his building, um, in his offices. It's an old firehouse. And it is just filled with these huge movie posters signed by these incredible filmmakers. Fellini is signing uh, La Strada. And there's a Spielberg signing, uh, I don't know, E.T. or something. And they're all made out to Spike from, you know, Scorsese or whoever, Coppola. And he's really just giving me a tour, just me and him. And I said, this is, like, so fascinating. I loved it. And then he kept going. And as I left, I went to his publicist. I said, I think he hated this interview. And he's like, no, no, no. He doesn't take people on tours like that. You're good. So I guess I felt like it was okay in the end, but I definitely had regrets. I should have done the whole thing differently. Gotcha. And that, and that makes a lot of sense. I did one recently where we were talking. Great interview. And we get done because I, I schedule an hour of time. We get done with it. And I get an email the following day going, can we do part two? I said, do we have more to talk about? He said, yeah. He said, I never got to talk about what I wanted to talk about. I'm going, okay. And we had to reschedule it because, again, sometimes I get people on and they go off in a totally different direction because I do a lot of yeah. background with them because – I'm naturally curious. I ask questions, and you probably do too, that you think your audience wants to know. Where are you from? What got you into this? Where'd you go to school? All that kind of stuff. And what were memorable moments and stuff like that. And sometimes when they get into that, we lose track of time. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing when you're doing an hour format, especially if you're doing it for radio, and we also uh, air these on local cable, I only have a certain amount of time to work with, and I try to wrap it up. And I, like I said, I got someone come back to me and he said, can we please do part two? And when you do part two, I'll be more than happy to promo it for you and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's not a bad thing, 
But yeah. again, yeah. again, I've I've done quite a few that uh, either we've not gotten to what the 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 audience or the audience the uh, the guest wants to speak about, which again may be my fault, or I just get him so comfortable that he keeps on talking. Um, yeah, I think that's better. I would have to say I I totally hear what you're saying, and I think I've gotten to the point where I just accept the fact that we're not going to get to everything because I would usually the best stuff is when they do go off on tangents. So they go deep, deep, deep because they want to talk about it. So that is so much more interesting to me than having a short answer about a million different things that everybody wants to hear. And plus, they've given those answers before. You know what I mean? So, like, it's not even as um, authentic and right. in the moment. So I've had times where Annie Potts is a good example, where I know that, like, somebody, a fan said to me after, like, oh, you didn't even cover Ghostbusters. And it's like, you're right, I didn't cover Ghostbusters, but as she's going into this at length, I'm not going to cut her off just so I can ask her about Ghostbusters. You know what I mean? Like, I just think this is how I I have to accept that. So it is a bummer if I'm listening to a show and I want to know about something and they didn't cover it, but I feel like, don't you feel like the the best shows really are when they do just kind of take their own form? Right. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And then I've I've done one and we actually he was okay when we were finished. Um the singer Fabian who was a teen idol in the 1960s. Um I did a 2-hour interview with him and I touched a raw nerve when I made a comment about his acting career. <laughs> that was Ooh, a, what'd you that, say? That was a big no-no. I said, "So <laughs> how does it feel being compared to Elvis? Elvis was the one who was getting all the accolades for his performance, and you were being laughed at." <laughs> Went dead <laughs> silent. I'm going, and he's sitting in the room with me. This wasn't telephone. He's sitting yeah. in the room with me with his wife, and I'm trying to dig my way out of this thing. And lucky for me, his wife stepped in. And said, yes, a lot of reviewers felt that that. But really, if you watch his work, he really did know what he was doing. And I thanked her profusely because if she wouldn't have done that, the interview would have been over. And they would have got up and walked out. And that was about, oh, that would have been around 2000. So that's almost been 20 years. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. But look, you sometimes they're not going to like your questions, I guess. I did the kind of something similar to Joe Montana. He was in... The Godfather Part Three, and yes. only The Godfather Part Three. Now, for any Godfather connoisseurs or fans, <laughs> I mean, I hate to throw Godfather Three under the bus, but I have to. It's really not even shouldn't even be part of the trilogy in a lot of people's opinions. So, you know, I remember saying like, it's funny. I was interviewing somebody from Better Call Saul, an actress named uh, Ray Seahorn. I think it was a few days before Joe Montana, and I was telling her in the interview, I was like, you know, I'm in, I'm going to meet Joe Montana, and I'm wondering, like, should I even bring this up, or like, am I, if I don't address The Godfather Part Three, I feel like all of my gangster film fanatics are going to be like, ah, you really didn't even talk to him about it. So she's like, yeah, I think you have to do it. Right. And I said, all right. And then I said, and I, then I said to her while we were recording, now I think I have to edit out this little discussion that you and I just had. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? Leave it in. And that gets back to what you were saying before, which is sometimes the things that you end up having that you cringe at when you listen to yourself, I do think sometimes those are the most interesting moments for people listening because they're real and they're embarrassing and it's okay because they feel like they know you a little bit better. 
So now I have learned also to keep those moments in. Don't edit those things out. The embarrassing things where I cringe at myself, it's okay. Like this is, that's part of what I'm doing on my show is my whole thing is it's called Really Famous because my guests are famous, but I'm after the real person. I want to know who they really are beneath that glossy surface. So if I'm asking that of them, I have to be that myself. So I do think that those now I kind of just, I just lean into those moments and accept them. But just to wrap up my Joe Montana story, um, so I did ask him, I said, so, you know, some people, uh, you know, are, they say it's not their favorite or something. I forget how I positioned it, um, but I felt so awkward in the moment asking him. Like, I was cringing as I asked him, but I decided I had to do it. So I asked, and uh, he just didn't love the question, but he was also a harder interview for me, too. Okay. Um, he wasn't into it. I think he was tired, and it was the end of a press day. He had been on, like, Megan Kelly and five other shows before oh, mine. Okay. Uh, you know, and so I think he was done, but um, he was kind of like, well, look, I, 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 you know, I think it's art and like all art, um, some people are going to like it and some people aren't. And uh, I've had young people come up to me who say that The Godfather Part 3 is their favorite one. So, you know, you never know. And that's how he answered it. <laughs> well, that's that's a good answer and a good way to save face, too. Um, yes, yes. Recently, I did I did an interview. It was last week, I guess it was, and I was doing. It was an independent director. He just released his first major film, that's doing the uh, film circuit right now for the festivals, and it'll be released um, this coming December. And we what were, movie? Um, it's called Killbird. Um, okay. It's a low budget film that's been shot in British Columbia. So we were we were ta- we were talking about it, and I, like you said, I asked about their background, and he met he made a comment about going to college, and it was my opening. I said, "Oh, where did you go?" He goes, "I went to Yale," oh. <laughs> and I'm going, and I'm really <laughs> sure mom and dad are prefer- proud of you that you're directing movies because I have a 19 year old, and we always talk about Plan A and Plan B, and he laughed on the phone. He goes. He goes, yeah. He goes, I hear that. He goes, my first thing is I was going to be a doctor. Then I and I majored in uh, theatrical studies. He said, but I told my parents I was moving to Los Angeles. And they were perfectly fine. I said, well, at least you have a plan B. <laughs> so good for me. The publicist of who got him on my program listened to it and they loved it. And I I realized when I said it, I inserted foot in mouth. But luckily, I was right. we were able to get out of it, and he knew where I was coming from, being a parent. <laughs> of a college right. student because that's one of the things as a parent you go okay i get why you're doing it but you always have to have a plan b um right, right. like the musician i talked to the other day i found out that her she and she's actually very talented uh we were talking <laughs> we were talking about uh her doing this as a full-time career now and everything else she's a uh, she's a regional performer she's out of florida and she's looking at moving up the east coast to do concerts and stuff like that and we were talking and i said so what is um what is your background and she says well i have my degree in art i'm going you're a musician and you have an art degree she goes Yes, I have art theory. I said, oh, okay. She goes, but I got my master's in education. I said, oh, okay. So you have a plan B. I said, I'm surprised that you didn't get into music education. She goes, music theory is not my strong point. I said, that's interesting that you're performing. She goes, no, I can sing it. I can perform it. I just can't talk about it. I go, makes sense to me. Yeah, sure. It does. It does. So again, so I, I know where you're coming from. And again, it, it gives these people human interest and they're real humans 
instead of people that we talk to. Now, when you do interviews, do you do them always in person or you do them over the phone too? Always. I always do them in person. I feel as though, for me, the big thing is the connection. And so that's what just that's how I connect more easily to people and I think they connect more easily to me is in person so I don't do I've never done the podcast remotely and I you know say oh hello yes okay are you hearing me I yeah think, I, I'm so sorry though but I think my battery is going on my phone uh-oh. let me switch through I have a couple of them okay um so I'm gonna do that real quick okay um Okay, so what was I in the middle of? Just give me a little reminder. Oh, we were talking about doing, do you do all your interviews in person, or do you, have you ever done anything on phone? Right, okay, so that's how I connect with people, so that's what I do. Um, I, I like to do them in person, and I really demand that they sit down for a long time, because I feel like it does take time to actually get to that comfort level where they feel okay to talk. Um, I have done interviews for print print articles on the phone, and to me... I mean, this feels fine, you and me right now, but it just doesn't feel like I get to know the person in the same way. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I and I, I understand that, too. I just know when I've done um, interviews in person, especially if they're uh, celebrities or politicians, um, I did Sharon Stone years ago. And I was. Oh, I did her too, but on the phone. I, I was I was dumbfounded when I did her in person. It was like, huh, huh, really? <laughs> because all I can think of is uh, anyway, anyway, what I can think of, I can't share on the show. But anyway, yeah, the movie. You're thinking yeah. of the movie, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of the movie and um, basic instinct, basic instinct, and the uh, interrogation scene. And I'm right. talking to her, and I'm going. And I'm just looking at her, and I don't think words are coming out of my mouth. I really don't. <laughs> so, so it was it was quite interesting. Unfortunately, I don't have a copy of that one. I wish I did, but uh, that was that was interesting. Oh, that's too bad. When you do when you do your interviews, you lug your own equipment and everything, or how do you record them? Oh, I do, and that's my. You really found my sore spot. I really like. I cannot stand the equipment. I've gotten more comfortable with it. Yeah, the podcast equipment especially, but. Now, at the end of each of my interviews, I do a video Q&A. So I, I have a YouTube channel now. It's the really famous YouTube channel. And so for pretty much everybody I do a podcast with, at the end, I say, okay, so let's now go over to the camera, and we move to an actual camera with a tripod and the works. I have right. to hook the audio, the voice recorder, and the mics up to the camera, and I have to make sure I set up the light because it's usually not light enough. Uh, so I have to do a light, make sure the battery's charged, everything's ready, focus, the whole thing, and then I do maybe a five-minute video or it could be a 15-minute video, and I put it on YouTube. Um, and so I really like doing that, and a lot of people do like to see them. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, the equipment is really a pain in my neck, and I schlep it all myself. But, I've, I mean, it's not that much because I kind of toss everything in one big bag, and the only thing that doesn't fit is the tripod. Um, but, yeah, I do everything myself. I record the works. I mean, I have some interns, but I actually um, I end up going to most interviews just by myself and doing all the equipment stuff myself. So, Which, do you do that? Oh, yeah. I Everything. And that's one reason why I like doing the studio idea better and having people call in because all I have to do is walk in the room and sit down and turn everything on. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it it, makes, it <laughs> makes life much easier that way. Um, that sounds really luxurious. <laughs> I have had the situation where I've where somebody has arranged a place for me. Yeah. This has happened maybe twice. Um, 
had a uh, Jane the Virgin star. His name is Jaime Camille. I had him on the show, and this is one of my trips to L.A. He lives there. And he arranged for a studio for me because his manager actually owns a recording studio. So I walked in there with my equipment, and they basically said, oh, no, no, we have a sound engineer right here. He's going to tape the whole thing, and he's going to do the whole thing on video, too. And I was like, oh, my God. So I didn't have to do anything, and it was such a luxury. Um, But at the same time, I do have to say I didn't love the studio setup because I like it to feel like, it's me and the person in their living room. Okay. I want them to just feel that relaxed, and I want it to feel that natural. And I guess there is that therapy background of mine that makes me want them to just feel like they're, you know, just in an intimate setting, just the two of us. No headphones, no equipment, no big mics in the way. So, you know, there are pros and cons. I yeah. I, that. So your, your podcast, how long are they usually? So I usually have I usually break them down to about maybe an hour, an hour and a half max. Uh, it's rare that I have one that's under an hour, but it is it does happen sometimes that the actual recording goes on for like two hours. Okay, um, that's tough to edit that down. Sometimes I, if it's that good, I don't edit it down. I just kind of keep it as as is. Uh, but yeah, a little over an hour usually. So. I was always told when I started doing this again, I started in 2006 doing the podcast and I was always told that if you do over a certain length, cause they were talking about back then doing 15 to 30 minutes, mm-hmm. but me, I like doing the hour. I like doing a long, long form program because to me, you can't get enough answers or questions asked in a short period of time. And it's like right now I'm looking at 52 minutes that we've been on and I got to clip this for a radio, uh, <laughs> a radio station here real soon. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to clip it, and then we're going to continue because I have more questions for you. But right. But what's interesting about it is, is that do you have people listening to you for the full hour and a half or two hours or whatever it may be. Are they listening to it in one sitting? Are they listening to it over a multiple, multiple days? Do you have any idea how they're actually consuming your program? Yeah. Another good question. So I know that they're that not everybody, but I do think that the majority of people are listening through to the end, but I don't really know if they're doing it in one sitting or two, just because most of them are about an hour. I'm going to guess, but that would be a total guess speculation i have i should ask everybody that i have surveyed my listeners before but that's not a question that i've actually asked i mean and i also think about how i listen to my podcast and i prefer the long long form like by far um you know i'm just not a lot of people do i've heard that thing about the perfect length and then i've heard that's ridiculous like it's all about what the perfect length is for your content right and so i like the longer ones i mean i don't need a three-hour podcast but if I'm really into a conversation, I like it to be an hour and a half. And I, for the most part, I usually listen to podcasts while I'm walking my dog or while I'm on a long drive. So that kind of gives me about an hour or so. And then if I'm you know, I'm done and I can't really finish the rest of it while I'm walking my dog, let's say, I might listen to it while I'm getting ready after I take the shower. Um, so I'll finish it then. Or if I'm in the car, I might split it on two days. So I don't even know. I mean, I'm kind of assuming they do the same thing, but why would I assume that? I don't really know. Right. And I, and I understand that too. And the other thing that whenever podcasting became popular in the early two thousands, 
it was retraining an audience that they had to go actually find what they wanted to listen to and download it. Have you noticed a difference now that uh, your audience can actually stream it from the site itself instead of downloading it onto their device? Um, I don't even know what you mean by that. Like, okay. I think I've all, I've all been the same for two years since I started. So I'm on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Stitcher, all the usual places. I can go. I can go to your site. I can click on it, and it will actually. I can stream it from its site. I don't actually have to download it. So, right, I, so you're saying streaming it from like my website, really famous podcast, right? Because there oh, are yeah yeah yeah. So I don't have. So I can go into your, like you have uh, Jessica. Hike. And you have yeah. that one right there. So I can actually look at this week's podcast, have it on my phone, click it, and I can listen to it without downloading it. Right. So, But it's always been like that for me. Since I started the podcast, okay. I've always had it available right on my website. Um, but I never really even promote it on the website just because I feel like most podcast listeners have their own preferred podcast right. app. So I usually just... Um, kind of tell them they can get it anywhere they listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, like I said, or mm-hmm. Spotify, Pandora, um, you know, Stitcher. So, but yeah, I don't know. Would you, have you found a difference since you started doing that or what? <laughs> no, I just thought I'd ask you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, no, most... I have not. I don't, I do, <laughs> it's just because it hasn't really changed for me. But I like to give them any option they yeah. want. Like, I don't care how you listen to it, whatever's easiest for you. I even download... The, the automatically my hosting service downloads the whole episode to Facebook and to YouTube so that some people will listen to the whole thing. They'll see an icon of right. like whoever my guest and I are together and they'll just press play right in Facebook or they'll press play right on YouTube and they'll listen to it even though it's not really a visual. Okay. So if that's what you want to do, hey, it's all good for me. I I do whatever you want. Well, the funny thing is, and this was a couple years ago, someone said that I had to to videotape my interviews. And I'm going, why would anybody want to watch me talk to someone over the telephone? And they said, no, you have to put a camera on yourself because it's become big in radio, especially in this region. I'm going, no one wants to watch me. So all of a sudden I put a camera in here. I got approached by the local cable station that's broadcasting out of the area. They said, we would love to have the program. Would you mind giving it to us and letting us air it on TV? I said, sure. I said, it's not doing anything. I said, it's on YouTube, and if people want to watch, they want to watch it. It's interesting when I go grocery shopping now, how many people recognize me when they see me. Isn't that funny? That is so funny. But you know what? When you said that, it totally made sense to me. Well, I checked you out and see what your website is, and I looked online, and I see you right there, and I see a picture of the guest. Yeah. And I'm like, that is actually a good thing to be able to see you. Now I know what you look like, and it, I'm sure people would rather see you actually talking than just a static image. Right. I think that's great. I'm not surprised. And then um, now there's a service through Facebook and through Twitter and YouTube that I'm actually streaming live to all three services at the same time. So if you're going on Facebook and you're one of my friends, you can actually watch the watch what I'm saying. So I have an actual another phone line that if I want to take calls or questions for guests, they can actually call in and I can tap them in and they can ask the guest the question. That is super cool. I love that idea. Yeah. I don't think I can incorporate that so much, but 
maybe I can figure out something. That sounds really good. I like the idea of that. And I'm going to, we have to friend each other on Facebook now. <laughs> sounds good. And, and let me do something real quick because we're going to continue this conversation, but I got to wrap everything up right now for WMCK.FM. Everybody, thank you for listening to uh, my interview tonight with Kara Mayer Robinson on italknet.com here on uh, wmck.fm if you want to hear the complete interview go to italknet.com and you'll be able to listen to the whole podcast as i share that with you here real soon because we're going to keep on talking and you guys are going to hear music which is going to end it for you and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly bill alexander thanks for listening <laughs> can i say goodbye to them too is that yeah, okay go ahead say goodbye Thanks for listening. It was it was great to have you here. Great to be here. Okay, they left already. So anyhow. All right. <laughs> well, that was fun that they so they wrap up first and you can keep going for anyone who's watching on another or I, listening on another platform. Right, cuz the radio station I record this for, I have an hour segment for them. Got it. So Got it. I can record it and everything is done in an hour format, but like a guest like you if I want to continue it, I have to end it and then and then go on. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing this forever. One thing I hate more than anything else is post-production. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. easiest, I if I can make it as easy as possible, which there all I have to do is put the music at the end of the program, which is an easy dump, then it's done. But if I have to go back in and edit everything out, it just makes everything difficult. But that's but that's neither here nor there. Now, when you do your own editing, so say you have an hour and a half or two hour recording time, how long does it take you to edit, say, down to an hour? So it does depend on my guest, first of all. So sometimes if I do keep the interview to close to an hour, it is much faster to edit, right? Because there's not, usually if I'm taking things out, it's really only because I don't want to overwhelm listeners with too much time so i do try to just take certain blocks out um so but if it's it also depends on i'm going to give you an example so i went to marion ross's house marion ross who of course plays marion cunningham or played marion cunningham on happy days um she is fabulous and i went to her house and we did a long interview it was definitely about two hours but there were a lot of um sort of like breaks in time where we got a little bit off track and then i had to kind of bring it back on track or like somebody walked into our house uh from another room and then they had to talk about something and blah 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 so even though i ended up having a very short interview it took a lot of work for me to really pull it into a comprehensive conversation okay so but I would say on the average, I try to, if I'm planning out my day and I'm like, okay, I have to edit this podcast today, I will think in my head I need to double the time of the interview. So if it's a two-hour interview, I really need to think that I may be editing this for four hours. Okay, and that now, makes sense. It may take less time, but it may not. And if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the whole two hours, so it's at least two hours right there. Right. So, um, but yeah, it does depend. And uh, today I, I edited somebody who had an hour podcast, and it really took me like a little over an hour. I barely touched it. Now, when you when you do that, you're editing everything yourself, correct? Correct. Okay. I edited edited all myself. And what are you are you uh, what software are you using to do this? So it's funny that you asked that today because I. 
um, had an issue with my software today. I use Audacity, okay. which is a free program, which yes. I think people use only at the beginning, but for some odd reason, two years later, I'm still using it, and I think it's only because I don't really want the learning curve of another program. Right. Um, but I do use Audacity, and a few times this has happened to me recently. It happened today. I had interviewed Chaz Palminteri um, at the beginning of my show, so it was almost two years ago, and I'm going to rerun his episode next month while I'm away. So I wanted to make a new intro and a new outro, but basically keep the whole middle content as is. So I went to pull it up in Audacity and then just like take the tracks out that were the intro, intro and the outro, and Audacity shut down on me. And it took the entire interview with it. Oh, the entire interview. And that, and so that's, I'm like, that's when you go in and you just start, you just start praying and promising anything just to get it back. Yeah, except I mean, the one thing is this: I had already downloaded it as an MP3 file. We're getting very technical now. I don't know how much everybody's <laughs> going to be into this part, but Bill, you and I, you and I understand. Yes, it was already an MP3 that I had uploaded to run it. And I have many copies of the MP3 of the entire episode, right. but what was in Audacity was all of the tracks were separate. Right. So the the intro, the music, the outro, so all of that. It's not like I so I lost that, but I can still just take the MP3 and chop it up a little bit and add a new intro and outro to it. But it is going to be a little more work than it would have been if I could just take those tracks out and put new ones in. Yeah, that that's heartbreaking when that happens. Um, yeah, hate or, that. Hate that. Or a few weeks ago when I was doing one, and I use um, actually I've used Audacity, I've used um, Adobe's um, Audition, which is the learning curve there is a little bit harder. But now I use GarageBand because everything I use is Apple, and I did not save the work. It was on my screen. I had to leave uh. to go do something. I got back. I found out there was a power outage in my house because the microwave oh. clock was was flashing. And it was like, you got to be kidding me. And I lost that is everything. Now, the only good thing about it is, is because when I record video, I also have a camera in the room that also has an SD card. So the audio that I'm talking to you with that had the opening on it and anything else that may be going on that you can hear and I can hear it was on the SD card. All I had to do was pull the SD card out, put it in, get rid of the video track, and then edit it from there. So I had a backup, but still that takes longer to edit than it would if I just had the audio file. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, I'll tell you what, what, I, what happened to me once before the podcast, but I was just doing interviews. I was doing one of these Sunday routine interviews for the New York Times. I mean, I hope the New York Times isn't listening right now. It's really, like, embarrassing. But, <laughs> but I was interviewing Michael Emerson. You might not recognize his name, but he, um, he was in the show Lost. He played Ben Linus, like the head of The Others, if you know that Oh, show. yeah, I know, yeah. Okay, so that's that's him, and he also was the star of a show on CBS called Person of Interest. Um, so he is an actor, and I, I went to interview him on the set of Person of Interest, and he was great, and he gave me all this great stuff, this great stuff about his Sunday routine. It was so vivid, and his words were so descriptive, and it was just beautiful. And then he had to go film a scene, so he said, okay, can we just take a quick break, and I'll be right back. I said, sure. 
And I looked at my, I had a small mini voice recorder back then. It wasn't the same with microphones that I have now. I have right. a professional thing now. So I had a little mini voice recorder, and I was backing it up on my phone. So I had two of them. Well, as it turns out, my batteries ran out uh. on my voice recorder. And because somebody had called me in the middle of the interview, my phone stopped recording it. I had no recording, uh, and this article, you do word for word, so right. it wasn't even like I could do a narrative and, like, plug a few quotes in there. I had to get the whole thing over. I was like, oh, my God. Gosh. So he comes back after filming this scene, and it's so interesting to be on set, like, watching them film this show, and they were on location. It wasn't like the studio. It was actually in an office building in New York City, and then he comes back, and I said, Michael, I am so sorry, but I just... My, for whatever reason, I had two recordings, and they did not work. And he said, it's no problem. Let's just go through it again. And, like, he was magical. And we it was so fresh in both of our minds that, like, we just pretty much did it in, like, I don't know, a very short period of time, and it worked out. But that was really a lesson for me in your battery is a battery charge, and you better have keep looking to make sure that your record light is on. Oh, crazy. Well, that's, that's one thing that bothers me because – Everything now is you plug it in to charge it. And I'm old school still that I'd rather have a new set of AA batteries or a 9-volt battery that I can plug in because at least I know I just took the battery out of the package and I know the battery is good. Because whenever you're recharging something that's a lithium battery, you never know how long that's going to last, especially if the device is old. Because you know how your phone is because after a period of time, it doesn't do a full charge. So it's very hard to find equipment now where you can actually put your own batteries into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't have regular batteries. I have rechargeable batteries. Yeah. And I have a set of four, and my charger charges four automatically. So I always have a double. So I put two in the voice recorder. I have two more, uh, like, on hand. And then I do keep a set of regular batteries in my bag just in case. But like that is really there's just worrying about that is kind of um, it's a bummer. I'd much rather be a hundred and ten percent focused on just the interview. You know what I mean? Like just the interview. When I started, when I started going everything digitally, it was very hard because I was used to recording on tape, and because I could see it, I could pull it out, I could label it, I could put it somewhere. And now with SD cards and everything else, I lose them. And that's a bad mm. thing, too, because they're so small. And my right. wife my wife does the laundry on the weekend. She loves it whenever she comes through, and I find three or four of them sitting on top of the washer because they fell what? out of my pan what? pockets. You, <laughs> it's like, you have them in your, what, in your pocket? I leave them in my pockets because oh, oh. I, it's like, you know what? I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm going to go back. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to load it in the computer. I'm going to edit it. So I take it out of the, the, the recorder or out of the camera, and I slide it in my pocket. Well... I get involved with something else, forget about it. And if she does the laundry immediately after, and luckily for me, she has a place to line them up because she knows I'm going to do it. Right. She knows. She's, but, you are so lucky for her. But can I give you a tip? Don't put them in your pocket. Well, I know that I now. Just, I just take them out. I only take them from the voice recorder or the camera, put them right in the computer, and then as soon as I pop them out, they go right back into my device. I would... I would <laughs> Put well, in that pocket. I know I would crush it, lose it. Well, just to let you know, it, I don't even know what they can be washed, <laughs> and they still work after they're washed, which is amazing. That's, well, 
That is pretty amazing. Because what I do is that I have a set of equipment in my car. So I, when I get done, I pop the card, put everything back in its cases, leave it in my car. So when I come in the house, I, like you said, put it in the computer. Well, mm-hmm. if I get interrupted by one of my kids, I don't think about it. And that happens. So, yeah. I, <laughs> and yeah, also, I it's, old, mo- it's me, old age, too. The, but anyhow. Yeah, I get it. But the, to me, the moment that I come home after an interview is so critical. And I really, usually my family is home, and I'm trying to really block them out so that I can at least download everything yeah. quickly. I need to download the, vo- the voice recordings, and I need to download the video. And as long as I see it in there and I can tell that the voices came out, then I can relax. But, like, everybody knows when I come in all dressed up from an interview with my equipment, like, just let me go to the computer and try not to ask me anything right. too quickly. Yeah. So when you – your voice recorder that you're using, what what are you using for equipment? I am using a Zoom uh, – what is it? An H5, I believe. Okay. Um, so that's a voice recorder, and I have two – microphones that I plug into it, XLR mics. I used to use lavalier mics because, again, it was that feel I wanted of just sitting together like friends hanging out. I didn't want them to have to hold a microphone or be aware of a microphone. But I learned the hard way that earlier on, my audio quality was not good enough. So I was doing that, but there was echo, and it really just didn't sound that rich. And finally... I decided that it's even more important to have the sound quality than the vibe, I guess. Yes. Or I had to just work harder for the right vibe. So I switched to these handheld mics, and the quality is so much better. But occasionally, I still go on site to do an interview, and I'll end up in this room that like is way too echoey. Um, but luckily, it's not as bad because I have these mics. Yeah, and so, if you're using so those, that's for if you're using oh, sorry, any directional microphones, then you're in good shape. Well, I was using Omnis for the lavaliers, and now I'm using cardioid, and okay. so that's much better. So everybody's holding their mics, but they're holding them towards their mouths, and these are people with um, who ha- usually are actors or they, they're in entertainment, so they know how to do that. So that usually works okay. And then I have a DSLR camera that I put on a little tripod from Amazon, and that's what I take my videos with. Um, have you ever done an interview with someone holding their microphone and they talk with their hands and when they talk with their hands, the mic is nowhere near their mouths and you can't hear what they say? Um, not really because they, I mean, I talk with my hands quite a bit and I think that there are many of my guests who do too, but somehow they know to keep that one well, that- mic. But you know who did this actually? My dad. I interviewed my dad recently just as a keepsake for the family yes. to have like a memento um, to just I mean, he could just kind of go through his whole life and talk about it. So we sat down again. This was like a two hour conversation and I was <laughs> like, we could have gone on for five hours, but it's my dad. So it's okay. Um, and so my dad is not used to using Mike. So I kept watching him and he was just, he was using his arms so much and gesticulating and having the mic everywhere, but near his mouth. So I did have to keep going back to tell him. So I think the thing is just because my guests tend to be, um, in entertainment, it doesn't really happen much. So you're telling me you're using a DSL, um, camera, which is what you do the, the post interview with, I guess you could say. Have you thought about actually doing the whole interview on the camera so you actually have video footage of it that you can share? Yes. So a lot of people have asked me for that. They want it. 
they want just like they told you they want to see you but they they tell me they want to see my interviews okay so since i'm together with somebody they're not just going to watch me they want to see the interview so right. i so a few thoughts about that so at the beginning i was like no 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 this is what makes the podcast so good is that it's intimate the celebrities don't feel like they're being watched i don't feel like i'm being watched and it pays off in the feel of the podcast um so when you put a camera up it's really a different vibe but so I started doing these little extra videos, but I have recorded a few. Here's one that I did recently. I so I, I was putting together a trailer of little clips from the podcast, okay. just like a highlight reel, that kind of thing. And so I was taking little clips from videos that I had taken of celebrities, and I asked Michael Imperioli, who played Christopher Moltisanti on The Sopranos, who had already been a guest on the podcast. I said, can you do me a favor and will you give me like a five-minute interview that I can just put on tape for this highlight reel? And he said, sure, sure, I'm happy to. So he came into the space where I record in New York, and we sat down, and I wanted this one to have both of us on the tape because it was for the highlight reel. So I set up the camera, and the two of us sat there. And as we're doing it, or we're about to start, I said, you know, if you want to come back on the podcast as like a return guest, we could do a full podcast too. And he said, well, what do you mean? Like today, another day? I said, I don't know, whenever. And he looked at his watch and he said, yeah, I can stay for another hour. Let's do it. So I hit record and I taped the whole thing and the video recorded the whole thing. Right. So I did do that, but my camera is a DSLR, which means it shuts off automatically Uh, after a half an hour. Okay. So I, a couple of times, actually, I had to get up and restart the camera. So it did miss some. And I didn't always notice when it happened. So for that purpose, and also I'm so bad with equipment that I just felt like, you know, it would be great to have two different cameras. And then you get a close-up angle of him. And you can also get the two-shot of both of us. But it's not just the two-shot of both of us the whole time. So, you know, there's a little technical question. But the more I'm doing these interviews, the more I am starting to get more actually on video yeah so i feel like i am a little bit in transition in that way that i think it may move a little bit more so in that direction um i also host a local talk show a tv talk show okay so i'm on the air with my guests so i've been doing a little bit more of that too so i can kind of see myself doing more of that so i am doing a little bit more but again i feel like i really do need a little help with the equipment when it comes to especially the video so the, the one thing, and I'll, I'll give you a fair warning on this because I did this, I, and, and this is going to sound really odd, Okay. but in 2012 to 2014, I worked with a chef and we did a t- cooking program on the radio. Yes, we cooked on the radio. Okay. I believe it. We also had cameras in the studio and we also recorded it as a podcast. So we opened everything. We ran a three-camera shoot. I would do all the post-production, which when you were done, it looked like there were actually cameramen in the room that was actually adjusting it. It's just that it takes a lot of time to be able to overlay all those shots and make sure the audio matches. Yes. So that's why it's easier in a lot of ways just to do a one-camera shot with a a, a two-shot with one camera because then you don't have to worry about it. And if your editing software gives you the opportunity, you can actually zoom in and zoom out on the editing software. So it makes it a little bit easier. 
It's just yeah, it's I... funny you say that too. I just did that. I just had Alan Cumming on. Do you know Alan Cumming? He was in The Good Wife. He played Eli Gold, and now he's got a show on CBS called Instinct. Yes, um, I know. I, so the I, name I, sounded familiar. I was trying to place him there, but yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, so I interviewed him maybe two weeks ago, and so his episode is going to run soon. But I did at the end. I took the little video. I was planning to just get him, and then I decided to get in the cat on the camera too. Yeah. Um, and I looked at it, but I really because I did it on the fly, and I had the camera set up for a close up of him. I didn't really like back up enough, and so I didn't love how close up it was for both him and me. So I was playing around in iMovie to see what I could do with like the lighting or whatever. I ended up doing like almost like a retro um black and whitish old school movie theme yeah. but as i was playing around i could see that oh my gosh i could actually crop in right and then get into his close-up of just his face which was really cool yeah. that was a cool thing that i stumbled upon what you just said you already knew i wish i talked to you like a month ago i would have <laughs> known this already if you'd like i'll send you a bill i mean i'll be more than happy to do that i could be your creative <laughs> consultant i can do that real easy that's right. That's right. And I do need help with that because that's really. I mean, it's fun, but it is like you're saying. Post production is a killer in terms of time. Like right. it just there is so much. And if I forget to plug the wire in uh. from the voice recorder to the camera. <laughs> forget it then i have to line up the audio oh, that's a problem and it is and, and what's interesting about it is you and i understand how much work there is behind this but a lot of people that are watching me right now or listening to me right now don't understand that because there is a lot of work to do this to get a quality product now are you making any money or monetary value off this podcast so at this point, I have some sponsors, but I'm not making nearly what I want to make on it. Okay. So, you know, I'm still in the, it's been two years, so I'm still in the building it up process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I know other podcasters, even the big ones, who are really not making a whole lot of money. So, um, you know, there is still that thing of, uh, you know, how do you make money podcasting? How about you? Um, I have one local sponsor in the past, uh, depending on when I've done them, I had other ones where I would belong to a co-op that we would, there would be five or six of us and we would have national sponsors like go to my PC or go to meeting or stuff like that. And we would divvy that as long as they got mentioned during the program multiple times. But the one thing that, and this is from everybody I've talked to that does podcasting audio video it's very difficult to monetize the podcast because you're, when you go to businesses, if they're not on a national level, they don't understand the value of it because you can tell them, I have a big audience in San Francisco right now. I'm not in San Francisco. I'm just south of the city of Pittsburgh. Or I have a big audience in Houston, Texas. Yeah. So how, yeah. but how do I make it work? The one I have right now, I've been working with the guys for years, and because we're doing local TV with it, that's why he's sponsoring it, because he's seeing revenue from that because of the TV ads, not because of the national ads, just because of the local um, regional stuff that we're doing, or at least how we're marketing it as a regional program. Right, but there's so much research, or I don't know if it's research so much, there's so many articles that have been coming out 
over the last year or two about just how powerful podcasts oh, can yeah. be for advertisers. But I don't think advertisers have caught on just yet. And it's like that same thing we were talking about before about how loyal and intimate it feels, yeah. you know, the audience and the listener podcaster relationship. It's just so much more valuable. And if you're going to met, but the audience size is small compared to the numbers people may be used to on like broadcast television. But again, so, the numbers may be small, but they don't have to invest as much. Exactly. Um, not only do they not have to invest as much, but each listener represents much a much more likely opportunity or a much more likely person to actually, whatever it is, yes. buy or uh, you know go for that product or that service or whatever it is that you're advertising. So um, you know they need to catch on. I'm sure that I really do think that they will, but it's not quite there yet, as we all know. Yeah. And again, in the early days when I when I started in 2006, no one knew what it was. It was just in a lot of cases, there were people sitting in the room talking to themselves, not until the technology has become a lot cheaper and affordable for most people. Everybody has a podcast at one time in their life. Now, of course, they may get bored with it and everything else, and it, it goes into pod fade, but Everybody, everybody has done one or done something like that. Look at the YouTube channels out there for people that are doing video podcasts. I mean, it's amazing that people have done three, four, five, or six of them. They don't get the response that they want, and then they stop doing it. Sure, it's yeah. not going to be consistency. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. It has to take time to build, and that's the one thing that uh, I, I don't think people understand is how much work is behind it to get the program on the air. Totally. I think, right. Absolutely. Now, it's a ton of work, I, I, and I think a lot of people do fade out because they didn't expect it. I sometimes say to people, if I knew how much it would entail before I got into podcasting, I never would have done it. However, I'm so glad that I didn't know because I love my podcast. Right. love doing it. So, But it's true that if I had known, I never would have entered into it because yeah. it's much more than you think. And I work with high school students and teach them how to do this. And I explained to them, I said, when I graduated from high school, the only way we could have anybody listening to us or watch us is we had to go to broadcast TV. I mean, we didn't have this opportunity to, to, to create a voice and put it out in the market. I said, you have the whole Internet, let alone the whole world, that you could do 10 or 15 minutes and there's going to be someone watching or listening to you. And when right. they when they understand that, it's like, wow, this could be fun. Now, of course, everybody wants to make a million dollars right out of the bank, but that's not going to happen either. But if you have a message and you want to keep working with it and you want to keep refining it and keep doing it, then you're going to develop an audience. And I think and I think that's the most satisfying part of it, because trust me, I'm not doing this to get rich. Right. Right. I, none of us are. None of us are. So, but again, I think this is this is the wave of the future because there are so many out there right now that everybody has to find their own niche. And you found yours with doing the really famous, really famous, which is fantastic that you've been able to get this many people to agree to do the show with you, and so many more that are are um, captivated by what you're doing. And I'm just uh, I'm kind of envious, to be honest with you. But again, it's it, for for doing something for only two years. It's impressive what you've been able to turn out. 
Well, I appreciate it, Bill. But again, I, again, just let me reassure you, the amount of rejection I get, <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe it. It's a lot of rejection. And it, it, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work to book these guests. And sometimes it's a little bit of a role. But, you know, then sometimes I'm like, oh, I really have to start uh, booking again, you know, because I have to do it. And it does take a while. And I do, I do get those no's. But that's all right. It's all kind of a game, too. It's exciting that I have the chance to get people. Um, but yeah, it's not, it, it's, it's easy. Maybe it looks easier than it is. Well, if, so, it, if, uh, it, if it looks easy, then you're doing something right. I guess I'm just trying to tell you, don't be envious. It takes much more, it takes oh, much more than it looks like me, to get these guys. Trust me. I know how much more have you ever have. And I, and I'm awful with keeping records. I really am. But have you ever double booked an interview? No. Okay. <laughs> you mean double book? Do you mean at the, at the, at the same, same time? At the same time, yeah. No. Mm-mm. I can't say that I have. I've I don't done think that I have. I've done have that. You? I've done that years ago. I haven't done it recently because now I am so. What's nice about it is I have an email, I have a, a, a trail that I can follow. And I can actually go through and say, okay, these are the dates we agreed to because if I forget to write it down or I misplace my post it note, then I'm able to go in and I've actually put a calendar online now, not only for me, but for my audience. So they can actually go in and see when the interviews are happening and when they're going to air. So, oh, that's cool. So that, that, that has made it nice. Like the one I have coming up um, in two weeks, I don't know if you're familiar with the psychic uh, John Edward, but he is going to be on uh, the program in two weeks. He's doing a performance in Pittsburgh and he uh he uh but he's big right yeah. he's huge i think yeah he just he they just confirmed with me this morning so he's going to be on the program on the 30th of july well congrats so, i bet that's going to be a good show and that's a big get that's great so I'm, uh, yeah i that one really shocked me it really did because he approached me and i didn't know he was coming to pittsburgh that's amazing so wow Again, well, I, I can tell you that for my, in terms of double booking, each celebrity booking is so, um, there's so much involved. There's so many factors and sometimes there's so many people involved yeah. that it's like very rarely easy. Like, you know how we schedule this? It was yeah. so easy, oh, simple. but like that is never how it happens with, so, so I, I spent so much time even just once they agree to it, actually settling on a date that. It's like I would really be an idiot if I double booked because the dates keep showing up in my email box all the time. Um, How many how many times have you had him cancel on you? Um, Surprisingly few, although somebody asked me this a few weeks ago and I said, really, like very few. I mean, I had um, Al Roker cancel on me the night before, which was a bummer because I had already done all of my research and I had like some topics that I wanted to make sure to cover. And so, you know, I get that celebrities have to cancel, especially celebrities, but everybody, you know, things do come up, but that was a bummer. And I, so I told this, my friend Dave, I said, you know, I think Al Roker was kind of like the one, but usually believe it or not, they don't. And two days later, that same week, I had two people tell me they needed to reschedule. And when that happens, it often means it's never going to happen. Right. So I'll tell you who they were. One of them was James Burroughs. He's the very, um, very prolific director, television director. He's behind Cheers and yeah. uh, Taxi and Will and & Grace and Friends. So He has the, I was he has the best interview. 
closing graphic on TV. It's sit, boo, boo, sit. But yeah, I, I know exactly. No, I don't think that's his. Oh, I, I thought that was his. No, no, you know who that is? I think that's, um, I want to say Gary David Goldberg. Okay. I may be wrong with his name, but I think he died. That was a family ties, right? I think. Sit, boo, boo, sit. I remember that. Good dog, a black lab. Yeah. Uh, Jim Burroughs didn't have a little closing like that, I don't think. Okay. Because it wasn't his production company. He was the director. Okay. But he's directed, like, more episodes than anybody of, like, the, the greatest shows. Anyway, he was filming inside the actor's studio. He was the guest. Kelsey Grammer, who played Frasier, was interviewing him. He was in town just for that. And they were going to have me interview Jim Burroughs right after the taping, which is going to be late at night. So I was kind of surprised that they were even going to do it then anyway. But then that afternoon, they said, sorry, he can't do it after the show. We'll have to reschedule. So... That has yet to be rescheduled. Okay. He lives in L.A. and I live here. Um, and then, like a day later, I was going to go out to uh, Susan Lucci's house. Susan Lucci, of course. From uh, uh, the soap it? opera. Yeah, General Hospital, isn't it? Was I it Young and the so. Restless? I don't remember. I don't watch soap operas, but I know you're talking yeah, about Yeah, I don't watch yeah. soap operas either, but she was the one who never won the Emmy or yes, like, didn't win yes. it for like 17 or 18 years. So I was going to go see her, and I did my research on her, which I hadn't really watched her in the show. I'm giving this away again. I hope she's not listening if I ever do interview her, but I had never really watched her. If she her. is so listening, I, I will watch the show just to get you on it, just to let you know. Okay, anyway. Right. So, so Susan, if you're listening, I adore you, and you got to come on Bill's show next. <laughs> But then, then they wanted to reschedule to another week that was less busy, and I have yet to schedule that again. So it does happen sometimes. Thankfully, I'm not going to knock on wood now, but not as often as you would think. I had one cancel on me just the other day who was sitting in the emergency room forty or about an hour and a half before the show was supposed to record. She broke her wrist. Yeeks. She called me. She was upset. She goes, I was holding out. I wanted to do it so bad tonight. It's an author. I wanted to do it so bad tonight. But the thing is, it was swelling up so fast. I had to get to the emergency room. And I swore <laughs> that they told me I would be out of here early. And I get, she was in on uh, West Coast time. And she goes, it's seven. It's 10 to 7 here. And she goes, there's no way I'm going to make it out in time. I said, that's fine. I said, we'll reschedule. I called her back immediately after I got her frantic voicemail. And I've only had a couple. And I've also had one no-show, which, uh, which is bad. Well, which is very interesting because actually, no, I've had two. And when I contacted him, I said, you know, we hadn't agreed about time. Well, you didn't tell me. And I said, and I sent back my emails. I said, here's all the information that you need. It's the same thing I sent you. And I never heard back from him again because they realized they were in the wrong. Mm. So, yeah, it it's it. the other thing that people want to do, too. And, and and not that I have a problem with it. It's just because the technology is not 100 percent yet. People wanting to do it via Skype and do Skype phone calls or FaceTime. And to me, if you can't get the quality 100 percent, it's not worth doing. Yeah, I can't. I agree with that completely. I mean, I do mine in person, so I totally get it. Because that's why I do it the way I do. I mean, you can see my ugly, ugly puss for an hour, an hour and a half or whatever. But at least you're going to be able to hear the conversation. We're not doing this over a, uh, uh, a voice over IP. We're not doing a computer. I actually have a phone line into the studio. And it's being done so I'm taking all precautions necessary 
to have it as best as I possibly can for the for the situation or the setting that I'm working in. Sure. So. Yeah, because it really does impact. I mean, it really does impact the whole experience of what it feels like to you know be engaged in the show. So if it's not high quality, forget it. Yeah. And Skype. Oh, if it's I don't know Skype. I mean. It's just not that it doesn't work well enough, I don't think, at this point. Well, when I see TV programs that are interviewing authors or people and using Skype, I'm going, really, your production costs are that low that you could only do it via Skype? You couldn't bring him into a local studio and do a satellite uplink? And, and to me, I, it, it, I don't know. It, it just may be my old school ways, but I don't think it's, it's professional when you do something like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, I really enjoyed this this evening, Kara. It was really fun. and um... So did I. This was a fun conversation. You're a good interviewer, and uh, we just kind of went here, there, and everywhere. I think it was, uh, it was fun for it me. Was, if, it, and it was fun for me also. Hopefully the audience got a, got a little bit out of it too, and they also were able to uh, check out your podcast at reallyfamouspodcast.com. And uh, Kara, I really appreciate you talking with me this evening, and, and, and maybe we can do this again sometime in the future. Sure, I'd be happy to. I'd love to come back. And uh, yeah, this is a, this is a nice talk. And hopefully, we didn't talk everybody out. And the big question is, how are you going to feel about this tomorrow, Bill? <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you, I'm going to feel really good about this tomorrow. I hope you are too. I will. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. <laughs> well, Kara, thank you very much. You have a great night, and we'll uh, hopefully talk to you real soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Have a good night. Bye bye. You too. Kara Meyer Robinson from the Really Famous Podcast from reallyfamouspodcast.com here on this edition of Online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. Hope you enjoyed the interview this evening. I had an enjoyable time. This ranks up there with the uh, the uh, former radio personality interviews that I've done in the past. Um, and again, it's kind of fun to be able to talk with someone that's on the same wavelength and uh, you're able to share and stop, uh, sh- uh, share uh, war stories, I guess you could call them. But anyhow, that's going to wrap up tonight's show as you're listening to us. Actually, now you're watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77, and you're also uh, listening to the program at italknet.com as we broadcast from the Phil G. Native Motors Studios high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call. The phone number is 724-785-6800. And I'm out of here. Everybody, you have a great night. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.
If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com.